Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. I'm your host, Young Me Mayor. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. <laughs> I, you know, invite a guest on to tell me a sad story and then we laugh about it in a healing way. I, I don't know. It's actually not in a healing way. I don't know if people feel healed after talking to me. So my guest this week is one of my like oldest friends. I feel like we met right after I moved to America when I lived in San Francisco. She is the former host of Bong Appetit on Vice and just all around weed expert. Also the owner of Marigold Sweets, which is a wonderful, fancy weed chocolate company based in L.A. Everyone, please welcome Vanessa Lavarado. Hi, thank you for having me here. I was wondering, it's like, I wonder if Young Me is ever going to invite me on her podcast. And um, I was like, maybe my butthole's too hairy. So <laughs> it's too, it's already hairy. So there's it's no reason. It's already so for hairy. To, yeah. Been crying and laughing for your All the time. Life. It's all I do. It's all I do. It's my favorite pastime is to cry and laugh. Um, <laughs> Do you think a hairy butthole is an Italian thing? I mean, other than eat, I don't, we love to laugh and cry. Right? Yes. Yeah. I think there's something there. I think the Koreans really did figure out. Because I, I don't, this is like a racist stereotype, but Italians do seem very, you know, they're supposedly very emotional and they cry and laugh yes. all the time. And look at your butts. They're all covered in well, hair. Well, <laughs> sometimes they're not. And it's because we maintain. Nice. I think it is part of the culture that we cry and we laugh. There's something that feels good about it. Like crying to the point where it just is so ridiculous. Like yeah. the sadness, the darkness, whatever you're feeling, it's so ridiculous that you just have to laugh. You're like, oh my yeah. God, what the fuck is usually what's going through my head. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, <laughs> the, yeah, I feel like Italians are just, this podcast is just, just explaining their culture, basically. Yeah. Well, Not, well, Koreans too. It comes Koreans from. Koreans too. Right comes from all the trauma i've been to i always say this and i feel like it's a joke that i have for myself and mm -hmm. nobody actually understands it or ever laughs at it when i say this but i always say koreans are italian yeah <laughs> people I mean, are like what are you talking that, about I, it to me it always makes sense right right koreans are italians yes koreans are literally italian they're <laughs> You know, when when I do the like the government census and they're like, what's your ethnicity? I'm like Italian because I'm Korean. Yes. <laughs> and also you live in L.A. and I feel like all the Koreans that live in L.A. have very Best. strong like um, Jersey Shore Italian-American vibes to me. The Korean community here is so big and, and just yeah. connected. And but like it's still, you know, it's present you know so yeah it does feel italian american korean american just like this pride and you go to best k-town in america maybe i For think sure. in la yes. it's huge it's huge it's yep. awesome so yeah yeah what that's it's about the, pride <laughs> it's about nationalism that's what bonds yeah, yeah. there we go <laughs> that's not problematic no not at all <laughs> superiority well, complex <laughs> I don't know if it's superiority. Gosh, I look at Italians and I'm like, you are so insecure. And I just want to send you like love. You know, when I see them with like yeah. the, the just gold chains and very demonstrative and I've got to be this big, tough guy. And, you know, it's just like you want to give them a hug and be like, it's OK. You know? That's also how I feel about Koreans. I'm like, you deserve love, too. <laughs> We're all perfectly imperfect. Yeah. You don't have to be this tough guy. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to have a fellow Italian on the podcast finally. My yes. people. Um, yes. <laughs> but we, I, I want to talk. 
<laughs> Remember when you were giving us Italian lessons through the group chat? No yeah, because we and- have our group chat. And Guang always wants me to say it in Italian and like in an angry voice. What was I trying to say? I don't remember. Fatti cazzi toy, which is like mind your own mind your own business, basically. But it's like mind your own dicks. Is mind literally fatti cazzi toy. Like do your own dick. Like dicks. Fuck with your own shit. Don't yeah. fuck with mine. You yeah. know, fatty catsy toy. Fuck with your own you dick. You have to say it angry. Yeah, don't, fuck with don't your own come dick. In my don't dick fuck space. with my dick. Yeah, yes. don't touch my dick. Don't touch my dick. Touch your own don't dick. T- See, touch your- that's, uh, I love that. I love Not that Not in front of me. And don't show me your dicks. <laughs> I, I've had enough of Without- seeing all your dicks. The, yes. The, what's the that called? Pics. The dick pics that nobody asked for, please. Unsolicited. Unsolicited. I made the mistake the other day of posting on my Instagram a question that was like, tell me your your dark secrets. And boy, was that a mistake. Oh, no. Because, yeah, it's just like, oh, I was, I mean, not that I was asking for it, but I guess I was literally asking for it. But you meant and, it like as a joke, probably. And people were yeah, like. Yeah, I was like, tell me like funny things like, oh, one time I took a shit in my aunt's shoe and I blamed it on the dog. I don't know. I don't want to hear that you like, you know, like want to be humiliated and pegged. You know, like, oh, I don't. Wow. Okay, fine. Oh, shocking. I've never. That's a big secret. <laughs> I think, like, well, you know, I think that makes yeah. sense to me because I feel like you're so attractive and I feel like whenever attractive women do anything in any it sort It has of, to be sexualized. Yeah. And the men that follow you are like, well, I want you to, I want I you to kick be me your, in the balls. I want to be a simp. Yeah. I want you to step on my balls and send me your piss. Step on and, my balls. And then, yes. and then you're like, okay, I was trying to have fun but now you ruined everything so i took it down because i was like just so sick of it and it, i also, i posted one of them because it was like i masturbate with a chicken wing and i was like okay that's a little weird also aren't you gonna possible? get some sort of like salmonella yeah i don't know i don't know where they're putting it maybe they like the like the cold wet i don't fucking know i don't need to i don't need to think about I mean, that yeah um it's for them but, to know and for us to never ever find out is what that that's is right that's right. <laughs> well, before- <I'm> sorry. <laughs> we don't want to know. I wanted to start off and, you know, I, I know that I always ask people to bring a sad story, but before mm-hmm. they share their sad story, I like to open up with like a little, I, I don't know, like a sad story of my own. This one isn't sad, but I actually did want to talk about, I guess, instead of sharing a sad story, I wanted to talk about how we met because we both met years ago, probably around 2008. Eight, I'm guessing in San Francisco when we both lived there yeah. I, I met you through my ex-husband Danny and who's a chef and his friend who was also a chef and his friend was like part of this very like yep. upper echelon of the culinary world in San Francisco which is world renowned you know people really respect this culinary elite what do you call it group in san francisco i don't know and i always i find that like group of people so fascinating because i hated them you know and i never interacted with them and i met that i met you through those people and i was like oh i like vanessa well i didn't really know them i was so i was a senior at cal studying art history and italian studies I was living in this house, this beautiful old Victorian house with like five other people. And my roommate was like working in the food world. And so I was meeting all of these people in food and met this chef, started dating him. And he kind of brought me into this like pop-up scene that was happening in San Francisco. Yeah, which Danny was involved in. You know, with Danny, Mission Street Food doing other pop-ups like I used to make pies oh I remember sell them you have very tasty pies I totally (laughs) forgot you used to make pies (laughs) I used to make pies I mean and for the pop-up when I would make them for the chef's pop-up they never got paid they never I mean I guess whatever yeah I never got paid for the labor but this is yeah but I used to make these I used to make these pies but I was really like in school and trying to finish my degree and I did and then I was you know at the same time taking care of this professor who was 89 years old and 
I had a, I don't know. <laughs> when I met you, I was like kind of in that scene, but still at Berkeley mm. and didn't, it's not like I knew the chef very well and the people that he brought me around. But I remember meeting you. But I, re- yeah. And we just hit it off. Yeah, we did hit it, you felt, hit it off. Yeah. I just thought it was such an interesting, I, you know, I dislike this social group, but I always thought they were really fascinating because it's a group of very, very wealthy white people, basically. And they were part of this like movement that was like the organic food movement. It was like right when this was really blowing up in America. Right. If anyone remembers the late aughts and they were like in this movement. But I remember just watching them and they were like they would go, you know, whenever they ate. So it was like the Portlandia sketch where they're like, I can't eat this chicken unless I know that it had fun while it was a lot like did it get daily massages you know like that they were like that that kind of people but then every night they would like do an amount of cocaine that had come through a fucking human mule that was severely abused and then had her hands cut off and i was like how are yeah. you fucking hypocritically uh wonder Can you imagine? Yeah. Is this is this hyper local cocaine? Yeah, I just have to make sure that <laughs> no animals were harmed in the making of this uh, uh cocaine that ruined the lives of like four thousand people that live in South America. <laughs> but but I just want to make sure that the the chicken had a good life. Do you like those people? And I remember like looking at them like I fucking hate y'all. Like you guys are just rich white kids. But it wasn't you're, even like, it wasn't this, even like, about the chicken. Something. It wasn't even about the fucking chicken. It wasn't even about the chicken. It was about like, what does this say about me? I'm yep. what am I putting in my body? I only want to put healthy things in my body. Except the cocaine. That don't have the cocaine is fine. Except for the cocaine. <laughs> Cocaine's fine. Yeah. Oh, and then like, but there was always like this still kind of shameful wanting to go and eat at fast food places, yep. and you know, you know, like there was. There's always the shadow, yeah. right? There's always like, what? this is what I'm putting forward. I'm this farm to table. I know all of the, like, how they're growing this fucking fava bean. Yeah. And then I'm going to serve that to you for $20. Yeah. Meanwhile, the tomatoes are rotting in the, the walk-in <laughs> and there are rats dancing on the fucking bread slicer. Dancing but, the bread slicer. you know, yeah. but my farmer's name is there. I don't treat their produce with respect yeah. and I don't treat my customers with respect. But anyway, bullshit. It's, They're all full it's, of shit. It's a fascinating, it's like a fascinating arm for me. I know this is going to sound like very intense. To me, it's just a very fascinating outlet for white supremacy because it's like white rich people that are using this thing that seems very morally superior to express their supremacy and it's like you know like when we were kids in the 80s like rich white women would be like I can't eat Chinese food. It's dirty. And that the underlying message was white people are better than you but they can't say that anymore so now they're like I can't eat this unless it was grown humanely in a fucking in my garden because my food is better than your food. It's like it's just another outlet for that emotion, I think, among wealthy white people. And that's all that's that's not funny. But that's I mean, what I there's think. no problem with this message of like, hey, I'm Italian. Yeah. I grew up with my grandfather growing tomatoes yeah. and growing our shit in the backyard because that was that was cheap. It was fucking free, basically, because he saved his seeds every yep. year and that he enjoyed yep. it. But it wasn't this way to shame. There yes. was no like pointing the finger and saying, yep. what are you eating? Oh, Dirty. you don't yeah. eat like this? Well, that's, you know, I can't do it. it there was no elitism. There's all it, about that was yeah. because what my it, there was no classism. Yep. You yeah. know? Like, and it's funny. My grandfather was a mechanic. Exactly. You know what's funny about the organic food movement is that all the poor people in the world were eating organic food until the fucking Before. until people invented pesticides and made yeah. it cheap, and then we couldn't af- afford the fucking organic food. We had to eat the cheap canned fucking pesticide peaches, and then they re and then the rich people reintroduced organic food because w- when we could no longer have access to it. And they're like, ew, are right. you eating Del Monte? And I'm like, bitch, you took our food away from us. 
like <laughs> right it's it's fucking bonkers. that way of life it's that way bonkers. of life because we have you know like working class went into went from the farms to the factories exactly. and then, like your grandpa like you you're know? like yeah my my grandpa ate organic tomatoes because he was poor he grew it himself even though he had this other job as a mechanic he still grew things at home because that was what he was taught. That was just what was passed down. But he would still go and take me to hometown buffet. Yeah. We'd still go, you know what I mean? Like we'd still go and eat whatever else because it wasn't about like, I want to be holier than thou. Anytime something starts to feel culty mm -hmm. or like there's some sort of doctrine that you have to follow or there's like a family. Ooh. When I think of family, like when I hear family, oh, our, our, company, our restaurant, our organization, we're all like a family. It's just fucking red flags. The fucking Manson family was a family too. And Olive you Garden. You know, it's like in- I'm just kidding. And all <laughs> <laughs> When you're here, your family. Garden, you well, they do, they do fucking, they get you with those breadsticks and then you're hooked. Then you're hooked. So don't eat, you know, the bread. Don't eat the, the bread. Don't eat the bread Kool-Aid. Yeah. Stick. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I hate that when people are like, this company is like a fan and this and this group of people that we're talking about very much believe that they're a family. And I was like, bro, this is like cult adjacent. Yeah. And it's just people that are very susceptible to these beliefs that are ego. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know if you remember the story. I'm going to, this is a really funny story. I got married in Korea and some of the people that came mm. to the wedding were people that were working, were in this group of like cult, culinary cult people. One of them, I, I went to a Buddhist temple on like after the wedding with some of the wedding guests that had come from San Francisco, including this one, one mm. man that worked for this group. Do you remember this? And mm -hmm. we climbed. I know what you're talking about. We climbed this mountain because it was a, a Buddhist temple on a mountain. We got to the top and there was like a, sh a little shrine and a marker. This is the top. And this yeah. fucking white guy that works for this rich chef put put a shirt over the shrine, his shirt that he was wearing, and he said, I claim this mountain for this chef. <gasps> Did I tell you this? No. And I was like, I what was like, holy shit, this man is fucking insane. Number one, you're claiming a Buddhist temple mountain. For a fucking chef that pretended to invent organic food because she went to France. And she was like, by the way, did you know that food can grow out of the ground? And, and you think you, you whites came up with this and you're, and you're throwing your thing on a shrine. That. And this temple is like at least 500 years old, right? And I remember watching this like, huh, white people, they stay at it, huh? They, they fucking be, they, they stay at it. <laughs> I mean, Can you believe I that? never knew that. I didn't I never know told that. You that. that oh no, that's insane. I believe it 1000% because it's this weird kind of, it's like a worship. And I still do think there are, are good things to come from or eating organic and, and growing your own food, whatever yeah. it is. But the problem comes in that, in this kind of worship, in this, in, Wanting to, who cares who came up with something well, first? She fucking sure as hell didn't. I'm just, yeah. But the funny thing is, yeah. on our way up the mountain, the Buddhist monks that live, because there's like uh, different little little areas where they reside on the mountain, we passed yeah. by, <laughs> we passed by a garden that they had for, you know, centuries where they had been growing the food that they eat. And we just walked for, we, yeah, <laughs> just doing that. We just walked by that. And this, it, de it never like occurred to this person that people have been growing their own organic food for millions of years, you know, like it's just. And so there's, yeah. So now that mountain yeah. belongs to the chef, just so you know. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that a white guy's going to claim it for. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. Good so for him. That's crazy. That's so, I just like the audacity of being with your group of friends that's that are from that are korean and then it, the disrespect a sacred space it just it's, it's like it's so wild isn't that wild it's so wild yeah yeah you didn't i wish you had told me that story before <laughs> are you recovering i feel like you it's, it's taken the wind out of your it, lungs yeah i i'm like i knew it was bad it's all just so fucked up what 
the restaurant industry. So like dating that guy. Well, you were dating somebody you know, somebody him. else, not the Buddhist mountain person. No, no, not yeah, that okay. guy. Just, not just that to guy. clarify oh, for God. the listeners. Just to clarify, I would have never, I think I would have never, that was, he was never attractive to me. <laughs> I dated that guy. There was like a lot of, I think there's a lot of glamorization. Like, <sighs> I didn't get taken to fancy restaurants before that. I was a fucking college kid. Mm. I wore a t-shirt and jeans. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got made fun of for wearing a t-shirt and jeans every day. I got like seduced by getting taken to these restaurants. Mm-hmm. And when you're dating a chef, they just fucking send you food and you feel like a star. Yeah. Like you, cause they, their friends are cooking at the, they're on the line and they're like, oh, hey, what's up? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, it's just, it's a whole scene. Yeah, I mean, and it gets glamorized, yeah. but it's super abusive. It's like late nights. Yep. It's passed out on the kitchen floor. The abuse and neglect and self-abandonment that is part of the culture of being in restaurants yeah. and just this repetition compulsion that people are oh yeah yeah that's what they're doing they're like yep. hey i want to be a part of this restaurant because i want to recreate my family and if i can impress you and people please you enough and bend over backwards and i'm perfect i'm perfect i'm fast i'm clean my chef's coat is white yep. i'm chopping blah 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 then then i'm worthy of love yep and it's never enough and it's never perfect enough and you could never you know it's just like there's always shame and hiding things i mean like It's no coincidence that Coke and alcohol is all mixed into the equation because I think that's a very important point because I feel like, you know, obviously my ex-husband is a chef and I was married for 10 years and there's like a glamorous part of it. Like we would go to like we would go to God, I'm trying to think of the fanciest restaurant I can think of. I would go to a fancy restaurant in Per se in New York. I remember going there per se in New York. People treat you nice. And you're a fucking 23-year-old idiot. And you're just like, I'm wearing a top from Zara. And it's very... (laughs) And then it's free. I remember like going to these restaurants with like $1,000 dinners with my ex-husband. And then it would be free. And I was like sitting next to someone wearing a goddamn tiara. And I was like, yeah, I'm fucking... I'm stoned. I don't know. But I think that what the point that you made is very important. I think there's something about the restaurant industry that draws in people who've already had childhoods that are abusive. So when they yeah. enter that line of work, it feels familiar to them. And yes. and the abuse and all that shit that they're putting up with. Um, people are like, how could somebody be a line cook or a chef? And this is just working 20 hours a day and getting fucking getting punched in the face and all this stuff. And you're like, well, that's yeah. like their childhood. So it's just a repetition of like what they're familiar with. And that's 100% the family. case with my family. ex-husband. Family, we come, come back that's to that what, word, family. Yep, family. Familiar. But also that's 100% of the reason why I fell into restaurant work because I was a server yep. when I met my ex-husband and it's very abusive. And I was like, I'm used to this. I'm used to trying really hard, doing a lot of work and people talking shit about me and harming yeah. me and sexual uh, abuse and harassment mm-hmm. constantly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I really um, hate it when, you know, like the whole, like during the pandemic, when food writers were going after restaurant tours and they were like, Oh, look at these abusive people. I'm like, shut the fuck up. You rich fucking Harvard going to writer that your parents pay for your rent. So then you live in <laughs> New York city and you got a fucking stupid job at eater and you make, three dollars a year but doesn't matter because you're rich like you don't know who these people are you've never been forced into this situation and for you to come in and judge like obviously like yes we should call out abusers and stuff like that right but it's like but then it's just like there was this questioning they were like it's like when people watch the bear and they're like whoa what's this like wow i can't believe people live like this like you have such a fucking privilege that you don't know that this is how most of the fucking world lives lives like what a fucking privilege that you don't know that when you and, work in a restaurant it's constant harassment you know uh, yeah and even even when you get to the you know talking about those higher elite restaurants yeah. it's the abuse is even worse as bad if not <laughs> worse exactly. but their mask they can pay for a prettier fucking 
front. Do you know what I mean? They've got the money to slap a coat of paint on that shit and be like, we're perfectly perfect and there ain't nothing wrong here. But if you scrape, scrape a little bit of that paint off, it's the same shit. It's the same shit. They put, they, you know, painted a turd. So, yeah. And I think like to, you know, like during this entire time when people were like, we have to like evolve the restaurant industry to be more humane. I was like, you're writing about this from your $5,000 apartment in Greenpoint and you don't understand it at all. Like, how dare you? You know, like, it's like we have to get to the root of the problem that there is like a portion of society that believes that this is what they deserve, right. you know, and that's why they yeah. quote unquote allow it. And, yeah. and, and that and that issue is not like an issue that we can resolve by, oh, like paying them a working ri- wage and, um, no, it- making sure we have implementations for anti-sexual harassment <clears throat> at restaurants. We have to get to the core of the issue. What's going on with our society that a huge portion of the largest employer in America, which is the restaurant industry, it works on a system of abuse and people think that that's what they deserve. Well, because we don't deal with the fruit of it is, which is shame and trauma mm-hmm. from families. No, it's not. And and we like to point at the individual. It's like when you're in therapy, people look at you and they go, what's wrong with you? Yeah. They don't think that there's something wrong, not wrong, but that everybody needs to do therapy to figure out their shit, to figure out what their family dynamic was and what their roles were in their family and how in their life they may be replicating that. To a certain extent, we all do it. Yeah. And maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't come from a normal family. Like I come, my family was super religious and I definitely was mm. the scapegoat in my family because I don't, I'm, I'm not that. And I, I mean, I'm a sold edibles was, you know, in the weed industry for over a decade. And to Christian parents, that wasn't exactly, uh, drugs were bad. So, 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 yeah, yeah. Can I talk but, about your background? Yeah. Do you think, you know, like you're saying that you were, like I said, like I said, I came from this background of abuse. So that, that's why I thought that I had to work in this environment. Like what yeah. was, how do you think your ba- like background in your childhood, like led you to, I, I know you're not necessarily doing, did restaurant work, but how do you think it led I'm still drawn. I'm still adjacent to it or kind of, I never was really fully accepted, you know, even though yeah. I was a part of that, like in that, uh, orbit, yeah. I was never fully accepted in it. It was always like, you don't totally belong, which was how I felt in my family. I mm. came from a super athletic religious family and I was like, questioning God at a very, not God, but like Jesus and that whole thing at a very young age and, you know, pushed back and wasn't sporty. I was like playing with frogs and was just very much an outcast in my family and like super weak and kind of my brother would gang up on me, but like whatever, boohoo. So I think that I... Not to minimize, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, like I can see now how I've like tried to, to replicate that mm. in my relationships, in my work, you know, I'm a people pleaser. It's why I'm a good cook. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I did that to stay safe. I cooked in my family because, you know, I know, I knew my brother wouldn't like beat up on me if I was making him pancakes, you know, or like he'd be happy or it wasn't even like physical abuse, more so just like wanting to feel this sense of belonging too, just like Mm. that they loved me and that I was like worthy. So I would cook and I would clean. That was like something that I did. I remember for this one, this chef that we've been talking about, there was like a big fundraising event and I had 
at the time, you know, was still at Cal, was at Berkeley, and I had just gotten a job as a cocktail waitress, which I had done before when I was 19 years old. I used to cocktail waitress in San Jose, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I would make really fucking good money. You make cash, right? That sounds like such a 1972 story. Like, back then I was a cocktail waitress in San Jose. Jose. (laughs) Before I moved to Vegas to to steal cards. I used to make a dollars a night. Dancing on tables and serving bottles of Grey Goose. Sounds like an Elton John song. <laughs> she was a cocktail Just waitress in San Jose. Get Dylan, do it. Oh my God, sorry, move the computer. Get Dylan to do. Uh, oh, like Dylan a, Adler. Oh my gosh, he will write amazing? you a song. Yeah. If he did a song of that, I would die. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like I was a cocktail waitress. At, so. I had experience in this job and I just really needed a job because I was in school. My parents paid for my tuition, but they didn't pay for anything else. So if I wanted to eat, if I wanted to buy something other than a t-shirt and jeans, I needed to work. And the one job I knew I could make a lot of money at was being a cocktail waitress, which is basically people pleasing, but for a job, you know, like you're, you know, like you could do a little song and dance and yep. I was at this like elite event, fundraising event for like, this must have been 2003. So like for Obama or something like that, or 2004. Mm-hmm. Was it four? Yeah. And they were like, oh, I was supposed to go to this job. And they're like, don't go, don't go. Um, stay here. You can't work that job because it's like beneath you. Like it was shameful to be a cocktail waitress. And I was like, well, I need a job. I have to, you know, I, I yeah. need money. I'm like we'll get you a job at the restaurant. And I was like, okay. Oh. So I stayed and I cleaned and I, I lit a fire. I remember someone, the, this woman came up to me and was like, it was me and this guy, but anyway, and it was like, can we need to start a fire? And I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. He could not start the fire. And I remember she's like, he'll do it. And I was like, okay, what about me? I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go too. That is so and funny. He, could, he couldn't start the fire. I could, you know, I had of to start the fire. Like, but it's just, yeah. there's always like this sense of misogyny there too. Of course. But anyway, so I didn't go to this cocktail waitress job. I'm expecting to get a job at this restaurant. I go in for an interview and mm-hmm. then I realize that it's just like a pity interview because there was no job for me. There was no, Ooh, that was all bullshit. And it's just something that, you know, people do who don't understand that when I say I need a job, I don't mean like yeah. I need a job so that I can buy some fucking Rachel Comey dress. I, it means I need a job so that I can eat. Yeah, so they're like these like rich put- people. Like, what do you mean you have to go to a job? Just get another job. And you're just like, I thought you were going to give me a job. Yeah, when you say you're going to give somebody a job, you should probably, you know, like mean yeah. that or not yeah, shame yeah. them for having a job that Oof. maybe isn't as glamorous as working in an elite restaurant. So I think that's just uh. like, I've found that I don't now, I see like why I wanted to belong to this world and this group of people that were kind of came from something that I don't come from because that's how I felt in my family I felt like I was from a different like something happened where I don't know where I came from because I don't have anything in common with my siblings or my parents like other than like cooking kind of but not really but so, that was like the only way they would accept you. So you sort of like was through into cooking it. and yeah. cleaning. Yeah. That is a really interesting story because it also kind of reminds me of how I sort of got jobs because I was adjacent. Danny was like friends with the person that you dated. And that's like how <clears throat> I got these jobs that were like very well paying restaurant jobs. And it's like without that networking you know that network i would have never gotten in and that's like again an arm of like white supremacy and like obviously i'm not white but i was like adjacent to this white person of influence right and th- so they they vouched for me to get this <clears throat> job at like a fancy restaurant where yeah. uh, i made a bunch way more money than working at this other restaurant because i was working at a diner at that point yeah, like, yeah, yeah very much like you like a, a like a airport diner or whatever and right. I, I got into this better restaurant job solely based on the fact that I knew the fucking I was adjacent to that 
rich white guy chef. Right. And then all of a sudden my income went like fucking through the roof. Like for me, you know, at that point I was like, I've never yeah. made $200 a shift. And right. But, for, but anyone else, doesn't matter how good of a server you are, you're not going to get that job until you are, you know, someone. And that's it's why. It's about who you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why those fancy restaurants are populated by the adjacent friends of wealthy white people. And those it's all nepotism. Yeah. It's a lot of nepotism. And then it's like who can people please the most, right? It's yep. that pick it's that pick me culture. Like I'm gonna sacrifice, I'm gonna self-abandon the most, and yep. then I'll be loved the most. And I think and, I, I sorry, can yeah. I just say this really quick? I think it's important to note that both of us, you and I, were introduced into this world even as outsiders because of the privileges that we have as people women that are considered attractive to this heteronormative male gaze like that was our privilege in into that world but we're very Mm -hmm. much not belonging to it Mm -hmm. and so you know in in a way like I can definitely recognize that I had this privilege and that's why I got in and I'm white you know like I'm white and I'm pretty so I know I knew why I was there and but I not coming from money always made me feel like I didn't really belong, even though that I look like I did. And then I was part of weed, which was always this thing that was like, hee hee hee, see, we're a little edgy too. So they would, I was like the chic, Mm -hmm. I was like the chic drug dealer, like the acceptable, right? you know, I packaged it right, you know, well enough that it was okay. You sold them weed and then you looked like you could hang out at the parties it wasn't yeah it, you're not like a person of color and you're not like wh- no. whatever so there no. yeah so I think it, you know it's interesting to recognize that privilege that both of us have oh 100 percent. can I ask about your sad story well what's your sad story well I mean I think the sad story it doesn't feel sad anymore but (laughs) you know now it just kind of feels funny but at the time it was like horrific but I was really dating the chef and found out in the worst way possible that he wasn't faithful and he was gaslighting me and lying to me and I guess I'll just say it, but he, I found out because he gave me chlamydia. We went to the doctor. I just remember, I'll tell the part where I grew a butt, butthole hair. <laughs> I was at the doctor because I'm crying, right? Because I, yeah. I just find out like this guy I've been dating who I'm bending over backwards for, picking him up off the ground. You know, I had my own shit, but to find out that way was really horrible because I had an IUD. When you have chlamydia and an IUD, it's it's not good. You don't want to get it. And the doctor, I'm in there, and he's texting me, and he's like, "I didn't cheat. On, I didn't cheat on you." I'm like, "Okay." And he's like, "Ask the doctor if you can get chlamydia from cocaine." Oh no! And I'm like crying. I'm crying, and I go, I go to the doctor. Oh the doctor, no! I'm like, "Can you get chlamydia from cocaine?" And she goes, "Yes." And I go, "What?" And she's like, yes, if you do cocaine and you fuck somebody with chlamydia. Ha, 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 ha. You, and I just started I, started I can't laughing. with this fucking idiot. He said, know, can you get chlamydia? What a fucking get- idiot. <laughs> Does he deserve to, should we, na- I'm not going to name this person. No, but no, no. I'm not no. going to, but just for no. saying that, he deserves to have his life ruined. No, I'm not going to say his no. name. No, but that is the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my entire (laughs) life. And just like such a desire to not be honest about it, to still need to hide, hide this, this thing. And then also how that, so how I deal with breakups and how I deal with like loss and when I'm triggered and traumatized is like, I stop eating. Like I, I, that's why I smoke pot is because it helps me with my appetite and he knew that and he came where I was staying. I was staying at the, the emeritus professor I was taking care of passed away of fucking tuberculosis. 
And this, this is my senior year at Cal. At the same the time. Cheating at scandal. the same time, the Yikes. cheating. I basically, this fucking professor dies who was yeah. the kindest man to me ever. The only mm. person who ever like saw me and like, like really saw, like I know we have this pretty privilege and this is like, oh, the poor pretty girl. So I get it. It's fucking bullshit. But like people don't see you. They just are like, oh, she's pretty. And he really like saw me and was kind to me and accepted me. And anyway, so this guy dies who was really important to me. And then my, I find out my boyfriend's been cheating on me with his fucking line cook, probably fucking her in the walk-in on his rotten tomatoes that he's serving for $22 yeah. with like a fucking splatter of aioli wow. that he probably jizzed into. <laughs> And then so, so you know, hard, he cut I'm staying yeah. at this professor's house, right? Cause the family is like, Can you house it and and go yeah. through his stuff? And and this fucking asshole brings me a bag of hot dogs and hot dog buns to kind of like make fun of me for not eating and like saying I'm like too skinny because I had posted photos and I looked very thin and he was like ridiculing me about it. And I just remember how like it was just so mean. It was like, I didn't, I didn't want him to be around me. It made me feel uncomfortable that he came there and to just like drop off food, like hot dogs. It was just like, fuck you. Fuck you. By the way, because I was working sort of in the same environment as that person and the word on the street. And I have like, I mean, I'm sure you know, this was he slept with literally every person every woman that he encountered oh yeah you know this. no no it yeah. wasn't just the line cook it was the manager yep. and the waitress and the whoever it didn't matter i know it's like he'd get wasted and, and the, you know this is, this is the i remember just it was like a running joke at the restaurant like great and also on top of that like i'm very against body shaming but it's interesting because he was very objectifying when it came to women like obviously you were his girlfriend because you were the prettiest and that's all that you meant to him because he's incapable of seeing women as human beings yeah he can just he just sees them as places to put his penis in but um it's interesting that he objectifies women and values the appearance of women so much because he looks like a slob kebab he looks like he looks somebody like the dropped... guy from the fucking bear, but like no, that, that's the hottest man on earth. Don't compare. Like, I, no, he looks like uh, <laughs> if you dropped like uh, if you were making a a baguette and you made a you were making a, a dough and then you drop the dough in a bunch of pubic hair and then you try oh, to yeah. and you try to like wipe the pubic hair off and it got mushed <laughs> even <laughs> more <laughs> deeply into the dough. Uh, he looks like yeah. a baguette dough rolled in pu- ginger pubic hair. That- I saw something online the other day of some chef. He's always with the most attractive women. Wait, wait, what, what did you see? I saw some posts from a chef that was like, this guy just looked like a total douche, just asshole chef. And it's, you know, you know, he's just going to have a swarm of groupies, of foodies. Whenever people would call me a foodie, I was like, oh, cringe. Because I think of all of the people who, like, worship these chefs. I can't believe you were like, he looks like the guy from the bear. Bitch, that's the most hottest man. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Do you think that guy from the bear is hot? Yes. He does not not look like that. You probably have PTSD from... I have fucking You just saw a chef's PTSD. coat and you're like, Ugh. but he is. I a, saw a chef's coat and wanted to. He like, does not look any. Don't the, say the that in case he hears this and I, he's going to tell people that people think that. he does. Looks the opposite. No, he doesn't look like that. The no, opposite no, 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 no. of that he's, man. I mean, I mean, like how that guy was presented as far as oh, like yeah, yeah. hair yeah, yeah. and yeah. like, like thinks he's cool and is like a rager and mm, yeah. you know like he looks that like whole the, culture i don't know if you remember this but this is fucking hilarious so he, what? because i worked together at the same restaurant and danny also worked there too my ex-husband one night he gave us a ride home and me and danny were in the back seat and he had just bought an Audi with his dad's money. And he was oh, so yeah. fucking proud yeah. of his goddamn Audi. It was so pathetic. And I was smoking a cigarette and I accidentally dropped it on the seat and I burned the seat. And then oh, he, my God. Spat, he was like, fuck, fuck you, fuck like that. 
And he was like angrily like trying to get this. And I was like, sorry, I'm like fucked up. You gave me a bunch of cocaine yeah. and alcohol. <clears throat> and then he was like, yeah. get out. And like we like got out. But in the whole scrum awful, like he was like patting the seat and like yelling at me and stuff. Uh, my lipstick fell out of my fucking apron because I had my waitress apron still on. Do you remember this? Oh my god. No, no. So my lipstick fell out in the seat. And I think what happened was you found it in the back of his car. You might have blocked uh... this out. And you, and I think he said, well, I just gave Danny and Young Me a right. It must be Young Me's. And you came to mission holding the lipstick like i'm gonna kill this bitch and you were like is this yours is this yours like that because i what i'm assuming happened was you thought that i was lying for oh yeah because he was gaslighting he was sleeping with every other woman fucking everybody else. everybody else and i just I was, wanted somebody to tell me and i was the only tell woman me. that i literally was not sleeping with him because i thought i, I thought know, he looked it was like the disgusting. worst thing and and I still like and you came have, in yeah, and I was like PTSD. and I saw you like you were like trying to like read my face and I was like Vanessa this is my lipstick yes and <laughs> I, I he gave me a ride he gave Danny and I a ride home last night and this is 100 percent my sure, lipstick and I and I wanted and then you to know so bad I wanted to be like he's cheating on you but it's it didn't not matter. me <laughs> you. You couldn't tell me. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like when you're in it, you can't tell you can't somebody. It, yeah. But it was like I knew something was up. Like I'm not going to blame myself because I was so young and was just replicating shit that I had experienced before and trying to find answers that I wasn't going to get in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. Like I knew, I knew the way that women would look at me when I would walk into his restaurant, like all of it. Yeah. And I don't know, supposedly he's sober now and like good for Doesn't him. Doesn't matter if you're sober or not. You're never going to learn to look at a woman like a human being. If you already don't think they're human beings, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. from, you know, my experience with yeah. him, there is no way at, you know, at his fucking biblical age that you're going to all of a sudden realize that women are human beings and not just there for your fucking sexual pleasure. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I've been, yeah. I've been around, bitch. I've seen yeah. a million of them come and go. Yeah. You know, I want to just point out that that's really sad about your friend who was the professor. And I think it's that pain of, yeah. I know you sort of, touched on this of being pretty and having privilege it's something that i don't really talk about a lot i like because it's embarrassing to say i know it's, that i'm pretty it's embarrassing it's like a poor little rich girl yeah i get it you know, i get it on. and i know that there's a lot of privilege attached to that including all these stories that we were sharing today we would have never been included in this world if it wasn't for that privilege but i think you touched on this really well the pain of that that people don't really see and it's hard for us to discuss because we have so much privilege is that people don't see you as a full human being when you have a no. level of attractiveness and it's almost like your personality is a detriment so you're pretty and if you show your personality that's gonna be bad for you so you need, you need to shut the fuck up be quiet and bake your little goddamn pies and look pretty yeah. and that's your job and it's really hurtful when you meet somebody that truly cares about you for who you are because it makes you feel like then you realize that your whole life you didn't get that right right and yeah that is tr you're like oh my god no man that i've dated loved me for this but here's this old guy that's nice to me and that's like who's doesn't yeah, even want who that doesn't really me. yeah doesn't need anything from me other than, yeah. I mean, like, listen, I was still in a position of caretaking, right? Yeah. I was taking care of him, cooking for him. Um, and those were things that I've done my whole life. But in my family and in other relationships, like I would caretake and then also be abused yeah. and not treated like a human mm -hmm. and not connected and paid, given attention and neglected. Yeah. This man, this friend paid attention to me and showed me love yeah. and, and really encouraged me and didn't um, shame me for for anything. He upheld so, his end of the bargain, yes. which I think is really interesting because a lot of misogynistic men kind of frame it like, okay, women, you take care of me and I will do this other thing for you. 
But what what you find right. out happens. I've, this is my experience, not true for everybody. Is that I have ha- I have upheld my part of the bargain, like just like you have, like as a child, like mm-hmm. I did the cooking and cleaning, mm-hmm. and then whatever they were supposed, to, your family was supposed to do for you, they didn't uphold their end of the bargain. And so then, right. and I'm I'm not obviously in favor of this heteronormative women cook and men work but i'm saying if you are gonna do that then you the right. other person has to uphold that and if you're wanting that from me you want me to cook and clean, right then you fucking make all the money and men don't want to and then they still no. expect you to do the what they want from you but that's all that's like who's taking advantage of of somebody's niceness i had somebody recently tell me because i was like i just I want to be nice. And somebody was like, you know, nice used to be synonymous with silly and naive, you know? Yeah. So. Like you're too stupid it, to, to that. And that's why you're, you're nice. Ni- yeah, you're naive. Yeah. And that's why you're nice is because you don't see the darkness in people. You don't see the, the, um, the, you the know, truth, um, the, the reality. Yeah. The reality think you're of the situation. Yeah. You're living in a, in a, in a different world and I definitely was at that time like when I went into your restaurant and I'm like is this your lipstick I wanted so such bad a, for you to know spicy such a spicy I felt ball. like you're gonna fight me and I wanted <laughs> you to know so badly I wanted to be like I Vanessa knew, I knew you knew Vanessa it was so and I, I you know it was so stupid not stupid yeah. I won't be hard on myself I was it's easy to get seduced by that world and like wanting to belong. And it's only in what I've learned now is that it's, you know, I I can still be kind to people. Yeah. But the only person I need to please is myself. And if somebody doesn't like that, then don't fuck with me. Fatty Katsi Toy. Mind exactly. Your own, mind your own dicks. My, you yeah, know? mind your own dick. So, yeah, I don't look for families. I'm not looking to, you know, feel like I belong or I pick the people I want to have in my orbit and instead of trying to be a part of some other thing. It's all bullshit. Like, yeah, Hollywood, any any kind of culty worshipy like i want to get into this circle or into any kind of family or belonging just feels am i making sense or yes. am i too stoned right now yeah you're okay. making a lot of sense yeah. <laughs> this is like i still want to belong to anything i don't want to feel like like religion even you know coming from the religious background i think that is really like bs I'm getting down to the root of it yeah. is why i wanted to belong to this the circle of Fooderati or whatever. Fooderati, no. <laughs> yeah. The Fooderati. I, I love that. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's because like, just like you want to belong to a religion and feel like there's something to worship. And the interesting thing about the overarching like religion, family, and this like the Fooderati or whatever. The interesting thing is that the. There's a kernel of beauty in there, right? Like this idea of belonging and having a family. Like we're, you know, I always say that human beings are just fucking monkeys. We're just primates. We're social creatures. And it's our nature to want to belong and be loved authentically by a collection of people around us. It's almost like there are so many people that know that about people that we want this sense of belonging and then they abuse that and it gets yeah. it's really it's really horrible and harmful and then you get people that are like your ex that like are the top of this group of this family quote unquote and people get sucked in and then they literally use that want and need in people to take advantage of them. They mani- yeah, I mean... Th- and that's fucked they- up. Well, look at the church. Look exactly. at the corruption in the church. Exactly. And what the priests were doing and the abuse that was there. And, it's in the you know, same it's vein. like... Yeah. It, it's, it's this... It's, it's almost boring yeah. how ridiculous it is. It's like this repetition... It's so cliche. Uh, generational trauma. It's yeah. fucking cliche. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I get it now. I see. I can see the darkness. With the light, yes. 
with family, with community, you have this connection and this this understanding and that sense of belonging. But when that's abused, when that's taken advantage of and manipulated for selfish reasons or because you haven't, you know, like dealt with your stuff. It's so, you know, it's so sad. It's really just people get hurt. Disturbing. It's like it's and it continues. Then those people hurt people. And, you know, and it's like, you know, look at the me, all the me too shit. All of that was stemming from use being being excused. And in that it's systemic. Mm And now I, I don't, people are like, oh, yeah, we made so much progress. I don't really think that we have. I th- still think that. I agree with you. Nothing's really Because we're not getting changed. to the root of the problem. Just like what I was talking about no. earlier where all these people were criticizing the restaurant industry. And I'm like, that's yeah. not the fucking root of the problem. No matter how much you change no. the restaurant industry, there's still going to be like this, this pipeline of people that are looking for places of work where they feel comfortable in abuse and we have to get to that root of that problem you know what i mean right right and i want to okay i want to leave on like kind of like a hopeful note which is (laughs) i have to say i think a lot of people hear women talking about things like this abusive relationships men that objectify us you know this this sort of dynamic where we're put it we're doing our part of the bargain and the men aren't yeah. i have to say that i as an adult after you know growing and living through these sort of relationships and situations that were very unfair to me i've come to a place now mm. that i've been finding partners that are some of them cis men straight cis men mm-hmm. wow what a shocker that are respectful and they do uphold their end of the bargain. And these kind of people do mm. exist and it's just like it's a matter of like working past the idea that I thought I deserved men like your ex, you know, who are objectifying yeah. me and manipulating me yeah. and using my wants and needs to harm me. But when I moved past yeah. that, I realized that this, this world is very big. And I'm not trying to say not all men, but like there are people out there that are not like this. And when you get in these relationships, it's not. All people. It's, not. it's It yeah. feels so different and it feels very enlightening and very... <laughs> For me personally, it's been very healing, healing to find people like that. Yeah. So that's yeah, because they demonstrate. It's also, I think, finding people who love themselves. Yeah, I think right at this very moment in my life, I'm working on how I love myself mm. and how I talk to myself mm-hmm. and the kindness that I show myself, and so that I can recognize that in other people. Right. You know, so I'm trying to like, I'm trying to reparent myself show myself the compassion and attention and love that I was clearly lacking Yeah, with the hope that when I do meet somebody, whoever that is, that I can be like, oh, they love themselves how I love myself. And so they're going to come to this relationship, not looking for me to show them how to love themselves. Yeah. Because I can't, I don't, I can't take care of people anymore. I don't want to take care of people. Yeah. I just, I, it's hard enough to take care of yourself. It's that, it's that analogy of the mask on your face, right? Mm -hmm. You got to put the mask on your face before you put it on whoever you love. Or if someone is drowning, if someone is drowning and you go to save them from drowning, they will at times, they'll push you down because to push themselves up, even though they will end up in the long run, drowning themselves too. But so you have to be aware in like Mm self-protection and yes, still maintaining that hope that there are other people like you who've done, like we're friends for so long because we can have honest, real conversations. We both have, I'm in, I've been in therapy and you know, like we have good communication and it's like hope there are people like that in the world who are going to come to a relationship in that way. Yeah. So Yes. Now I recognize the chefs and it's not just chefs. It's like, it's that kind of relationship is, can be anywhere, but the restaurant industry is rife with that kind of abuse. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to note that, yeah, the romanticization of the restaurant industry, Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. that are watching the bear and being like, yeah, I want a fucking chef boyfriend. Put your seatbelts on. And don't drop, <laughs> don't drop your cigarette. Buckle up. 
buckle up and don't drop your cigarette in the back of his Audi because he will scream at you. We could talk for hours about the fucking. Re- I know. know. This is. They're just the worst people. But I think overall, I think the one thing I, I learned from this episode, and I think the listeners learned, is mind your own fucking dick. Fatty Katsy toy. Yeah. Mind your own dicks. Yes. Mind your dick. Anyway, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me. This was such an interesting conversation. We cried and laughed. Mm -hmm. Our buttholes Mm -hmm. are getting even hairier. We're becoming even more Italian by the second. But where can our listeners find you on social media? You can find me at Vanessa Marigold. Um, That's my Instagram handle and then Marigold Sweets. Nice. And that's on Twitter too. Uh, And then I have a Patreon, the Edible Club. If you like to cook with weed, I do a live recipe every sunday this sunday i'm doing choco tacos nice <laughs> yeah they're gonna be good i'm gonna wow. make pizzelle which is like you know and they make a taco shell out of that put some ice cream in it i'm gonna join i want to watch what time is it on sundays uh i it varies it depends on what time i want to wake up but usually at like noon okay. or 1 p.m i'll send you the link so it's it's it's, it's west, so west coast time at around noon or west 1. coast time oh that's great because yeah. that's like that's like three or four for me so. three or yeah. four yeah awesome yeah. okay well thank you yeah. very much for doing it and uh if listeners if you want to donate to my patreon where I, I absolutely don't do anything but maybe i should do a live video too once a week you do the podcast no like the patreon i don't like have any gifts because i like don't know what people want and so people are just donating money and i feel bad and guilty don't feel bad but why do you feel guilty what maybe we should do a combo live together yeah, let's on do patreon it. that'll be really yeah. fun and you can teach me how to cook because yeah. i don't know how to cook you, what are you talking about, Young Me? You, I, I guess. Stop. I mean, you make the most beautiful Korean dish. Like, you do all of those spreads. Are you kidding me? I don't me? know, because I you make cook food, for me. and I feel like it tastes bad. You cook for but me. But maybe that's just because no, I'm it cooking doesn't. it. You know what I mean? When you cook mm-hmm. stuff. It doesn't taste bad. You've cooked for me, and it's delicious. Okay. You remember that soup that you made us? I, I you Remember? Maybe. You got all of that seafood. It was so delicious. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop saying that about myself. Don't be self-deprecating. Yeah. I just personally You're don't awesome like my cook. cooking. Like I know that people like. I like. I don't it. know. I, for some reason, when I cook I don't like my cooking either. It's bad. To I me. don't like. No one does. Oh, no stop. one does. Okay. We're. I don't like my cooking. I swear. Yeah. But I love your cooking. So we'll cook for each okay. other. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for okay. listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks for having of me. Of course. Bye. Bye. Bye.